This morning, we have a, a guest with us. He's going to lead us in the Word this morning. Uh, he is, his name is Jim Halstead. He is the founder of Go and Tell Ministries. He's been doing this for the last three, four years. But I wanted to give you one thing that I found very interesting. I talked to him this morning, and I read a little bit about him online. Uh, most pastors at some point in their ministry, go through an ordination process. We talked last year about Austin going through his. Well, Jim is a little glutton for punishment. He is ordained in the EFCA, he is ordained in the CMA, and he's ordained in the CRC, in the Christian Reformed Church. He's gone through three ordination processes. This man wants to have influence. This man wants to know the Word. And so... I want to introduce him. Come on up, Jim. We're going to pray for Jim before he gives us the word. And know this man has uh, poured over the scriptures. He said he had to do a 125-page paper for his most recent ordination. That's just, he's wanting it. He's wanting to know God and know the word. Amen? Okay, let's pray for our brother. Father... It's a humbling thing to come into a room and speak to people we don't know. I pray that you would give wisdom right now, supernatural power to, to our brother Jim. Give him the words to say. Let him say every word that you have prepared for us this morning. Protect his heart, protect his mind. Let him be faithful to you in all things. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks, Adam. Yeah, I'm ordained in three groups, uh, you know, but life is lived forward and understood backwards. And as I look back, all three of those denominations endorse my ministry. I do training for them. All three of those churches support me financially with my ministry. Uh, I've also retired. I taught special education for 10 years in the state of Indiana, often bivocational pastor. And, and again, three years ago, I founded Go and Tell Ministries and and I've been traveling through the United States. It's also been translated in Swahili, Italian, Spanish. And we actually train people throughout the world. And it's neat to see God's sovereign hand on that. I, I was talking to Daniel before I get started. This is crazy. Daniel's brother, if you talk to me, I have three adult kids. They're all married. My son is an assistant basketball coach at Grace College. His brother recruited my son to play at Grace College. And I actually met John at a basketball game in South Carolina last year. Not only that, my pastor at my, found, at my sending church right now was your John's roommate at Taylor University. And so, uh, so anyway, I feel connected with you, Daniel. I always have a family gathering after that. You know, but with us, I, as I get started today, I want to ask you a question. This isn't as common as it used to be. Have you ever been with someone when they passed away, that you've actually held their hands and been with them? Three years ago, my dad passed away, and... He was in a hospital Wednesday for cancer, and when I left Saturday, he was going to go to hospice for six months. I actually got him a bed at my sister's place. I go home, and I preach on Sunday. I was teaching school on Monday, and they called me, and they said, oh, by the way, your dad went into a coma. He never made it to your sister's. Get here quick. He's dying. And I was actually able to be with my dad, and he passed that next day. I didn't know on Saturday his last words for me were his last words. It was, I love you, son. You remember those last words. When I pastored at an evangelical free church in Florida from 87 to 99, I was just there a couple weeks ago in Jacksonville, Florida, Atlantic Beach. I was a rookie pastor out of seminary. 
the pastor was gone, Kathy was dying, she was in the hospital, her family couldn't be there, and I was assigned to go be with her. And I was at the hospital, and if you're familiar with Jacksonville, it's off the St. John's River near the Jaguar Stadium. Baptist Hospital is there. All three of my kids were born there. I'm sitting just reading scripture, praying with Kathy, who was asleep. She woke up, and she looked at me, and she sat up with her finger shaking, looking out the window where you see the St. John's River, and she said this to me. I see Jesus coming to get me in a boat. Well, when she said that, she laid back down. What did I do? (laughs) I went to look out the window to see if a boat was coming. And so I'm looking out the window. When she laid down, she actually died. And the nurses came in, and they had a no resuscitation order. And the nurses come in, and they're, Pastor, Pastor. And I'm looking out the window. They go, yeah. And they go, Kathy just died. What in the world were you doing? I was looking for a boat. (laughs) They go, what? I I was looking for a boat. Kathy's last words, I I can't wait to get to heaven and maybe I'll see that boat. I don't know what she saw. But you remember the last words with people when you die if you've been there. Let me ask you this. Do you remember Jesus' last words before he ascended into heaven? After he died on the cross, he was with the disciples for 40 days. Do you remember his last words? What's interesting about that, that last phrase, those last words are called what? The Great Commission. Barna did a study just recently, last year, and they found this. 51% of the church today does not even know of the Great Commission. They said they've never heard of it. 6% were unsure. 25% said this. Well, we've heard of the Great Commission. We don't know where it is. Only 17% knew in the church today, when Barna did the survey, the Great Commission was referred to in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, his last words when he ascended. He called his 11 to come, his last words, important words, and he gave them this command, the Great Commission, and it's found in in Matthew 28, and it says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We're going to look at Jesus' last words before he ascended today. Before we get started, let me pray. Father in heaven, as we come today, I thank you for this body of Christ that you've placed here. I thank you for their love for you. And Father, I ask now, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You know, that phrase, Great Commission, uh, it's been known, it was popularized by Hudson Taylor, a famous missionary in China. Uh, It was also used by William Carey, famous, again, the missionary movement post-Reformation. But the command to of the Great Commission goes all the way back to St. Augustine, that the church was called to fulfill this. And as we look at this, the, the command of what is the Great Commission, as we look at it, is to make disciples. Often people think it's to go. That's not the command. It's an explanation of how to fulfill the command. But the command is to make disciples of all nations. What is a disciple? I guess it's the first simple thing to ask. And a disciple is what? A follower of Jesus Christ. Someone who follows and has devotion to Jesus Christ. Scripture says this, A student is not above his teacher, but when he is fully trained will become like his teacher. 
The command is not only to make followers of Jesus Christ, but it's an interesting command. Jesus looked at the 11 in the small area of Israel, and he said what? Make disciples of all nations. Did he really think that these 11 could reach the world? Matter of fact, if you let me ask you this question. As an evangelist, let's say I would go out and I would win 1,000 people today to faith in Jesus Christ. How long would it take for me to win the world? Or if I did this, Daniel, let's say I disciple Daniel after six months, then Daniel and I both lead someone to faith in Christ and we disciple someone. So after a year we have four. Then all four of us then after six months would lead someone to faith and disciple them and multiply every six months, which would win the world quicker. Studies have shown that if it was just me reaching the world in Christ by addition, it would take over 17,500 years to win the world with no one added. But if we would multiply every six months, we would make disciples who would make disciples. Theoretically, you could win the world in 17 years. When Jesus looked at the disciples and said to make disciples of all nations, it's theoretically possible but it's only possible if every believer in Christ goes and seeks to fulfill the Great Commission. And how do you fulfill the Great Commission? Well, Jesus talks about making disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. There's three ways to do it. First, he talks about going. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And the going is just not a one-time going of going to Taiwan for a mission trip. And I've gone on 20 mission trips throughout the world, and those are important trips to do. It's not just going once, it's as you are going throughout the day. We kind of phrase it this way and go tell ministries that God wants you to be bloom where you're planted. That you begin to pray for the people that God has placed in your life right now, people in your workplace, people in your neighborhood, your family, extended family members, the people you see at the coffee shop, the people from the basketball league. You begin to realize that God has placed you and has placed people in your life for you to reach for the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone here is called to go where you are going, to bloom where you're planted, to make disciples who can make disciples. And remember, in this command of the Great Commission, Jesus says what? He'll empower us. In the correlating verse in Acts, what does it say? But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth that we can theoretically, we can win not only Des Moines, but we can win the world in Christ. I literally just started traveling the country a year and a half ago, two years ago, September 2021. I never envisioned that my material get translated in Swahili, be taught in Tanzania and four other countries, being translated in Italian as a missionary is going in a month to teach it. As I work with Central American countries, I'm corresponding with over 150 pastors in 15 countries worldwide of equipping them to want to share the gospel, to make disciples. Because we believe that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see that life because God's wrath remains on him. We believe that what? Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. The reason I bring that up, I think there's a reason why Barna says the church doesn't know the Great Commission because the church in America also doesn't believe in the gospel. 
The Christian Post did a study and they found this. Over a third of evangelical pastors, pastors who claim to be evangelical, over a third of senior pastors believe that good people can earn their way to heaven. That their salvation is on their good deeds, on their good works. They don't look at for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. They believe that salvation could be earned or worked, but that is not the case. Salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. Lifeway did a survey of Christian prayer habits several years ago. This is what they found. More Christians prayed to win the lottery than they prayed for their neighbor's salvation. You know, when the pastor challenges you to pray for two, just be mindful the church in America is not doing that. God has called us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. We need to have that mindset of John the Baptist where it says there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. You need to put your name in verse 6. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was Jim. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was Daniel. And we're called to share. We're called to bloom where God has planted us. And it starts by praying for the lost by name. I've learned this as a pastor. The people who pray by name for the salvation of others are the people who share the gospel. And the people who do not pray by name for others never share. I was praying for MJ. MJ, we live in a neighborhood called Arlington Park. MJ had a house there when we moved in there 20 years ago. And he worked for the city. Uh, he wanted to have a, his own garage to fix cars. He actually had a three-car garage, and he used this garage to fix cars. I started praying for him, sharing with him. I knew a friend who had a garage he was trying to sell. I got MJ connected. MJ got that, bought that garage, quit his city business, and started and opened up his new business, MJ Motors. And as he started that, I would go meet him, and I had people going there, and I was sharing the gospel with MJ. But again, he was... Not only from the country of India, he was Hindu, and Jesus was just one of many gods to him. I remember one Easter, he came to my service, and when he got done, he came up front after the service. My wife was in the front row, was on the Easter service, and, and I, I, I can't say his dialect, but he, he said, oh, Jim, Jim, you are a good speaker. Jim, I watched you. I watched you. Every word that was on the screen, you said a word perfect. Oh, you're a good speaker, my friend. My wife is laughing on the front row. And she goes, aren't you going to tell him? I said, oh, no, no. And, and he walked away. I said, I, I don't want to burst his bubble. And she goes, oh, you, you don't want to burst your bubble. What did, did I not tell him? I had a screen in the back that I was reading every word off. But he saw the screen behind me, and he thought, oh, I was a good speaker. I shared the gospel with him repeatedly. And I'd go to his garage his wife worked there, his daughter worked there. They would hear me sharing with MJ, but in that culture, I had to share with him. I couldn't share with them. I honored their culture. Years later, his wife died. I went to the viewing. I didn't go to the funeral. It was a Hindu funeral. But I went to the viewing. When I went to the viewing, something struck me. He came, and he ran, and he hugged me, and he said this. He goes, Jim, 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 my wife. My wife was in the hospital. She was dying two days ago before she died. She called me. She looked at me, Jim, and she said this. Call the man Jim Halstead. I need to see the man Jim Halstead. And I looked at her. Why do you, the man who got my garage? You do not need to see that man. And she pleaded with me, Jim, 
to see the man Jim Halstead. Why? It's because she knew I was sharing the gospel and she wanted it, I think, but he never called me. He hugged me, he thanked me for coming and the influence and it made me think, how many other people know about you that they know they could call you and you would tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ? That you know it. That they know that they would want you to come. Christian posted a study recently, it said this last year, two-thirds of American Christians don't know any method for telling others about Jesus Christ. Two-thirds of Christians in the church today in America have no clue of how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If someone was on their dying deathbed and they asked you, how do I get right with God, could you explain it to them? See, God wants you to begin to pray, and as you pray, I just promise you, he will move you to share the gospel. The workshop this afternoon will teach you how to initiate gospel conversations. I told you I, I taught special education for 10 years in Indiana. 2007 to 2011, I was a special education teacher, and I had Jeremy. I'm going to give him the name Jeremy because I can't say his name uh, for legality with IEPs, but I taught him for four years. I prayed for him every day. He had a child with uh, emotional disability. He was also just very dysfunctional family, very violent. When I retired from, well, I quit teaching in 2011, I hadn't seen Jeremy till this summer. I came home from traveling from Go and Tell. When I got home, my wife greeted me. She was, hey, dinner's going to be ready in a few minutes. She went into the kitchen. I turned on the TV and I turned on the local news. And next thing, my wife heard me say, oh my. And she came in, what happened? And, and I just pointed, that's, that's Jeremy, my former student. Because she had heard me talk about him. I hadn't seen him since 2011. It's now, what, 2023. The news broadcast said this, we have a national trail in the city where it's a crosswalk and cars are supposed to stop. There was a car stop, someone was walking. Jeremy pulled up in his car, he didn't stop. He pulled and he hit her and he killed her. And he was arrested. And when he was arrested, it was for reckless homicide. And they showed his picture. And I was like, oh my. My wife and I, when we turned off the news, we prayed for the victim's family. We prayed for Jeremy. And we got done. She just looked at me and goes, you're already planning on seeing him in the jail, aren't you? So I called the jail last summer, at least in Allen County and Fort Wayne. They had just opened up the jail for pastor visits. If you were a family member, you still had to do a kiosk or a Zoom visit. You couldn't see them in person. But now lawyers, public defenders, and chaplains and pastors could go see them. And I went and I signed up to see Jeremy. I'm waiting in the cell and you have that glass partition and the phones. And, and I'm sitting there thinking... I haven't seen him for over a decade. Will he even remember his fifth grade teacher? When he came in, he looked at me and he said later, he goes, I thought you were going to be my public defender. And he said this, oh my, Mr. H, is that you? Because when I taught school, I was known as Mr. H for Jim Halstead. Go, yeah, Jeremy, that's me. I, I, I've got a little bit more gray hairs than I had last time I talked with you. And we started catching up. I was hearing about his family, and I was hearing how he had many misdemeanors accounts, actually had a felony restraining order that he violated, but his girlfriend was actually living in the car with him when he hit this person. He now has a son. She was pregnant at the time. 
I heard of how he's got a job, but he often had a hard time, they had a hard time finding places to live, and he was trying to work things out. He had a car, he had insurance, he had a job, but they're living in the vehicle. Then he got arrested, and as I talked more about him, I asked about his church background. He didn't have much of one, and then I said, Jeremy, may I ask you a spiritual question? He said, yes. I said, Jeremy, if you were to stand before God right now and he would ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? He goes, Mr. H, I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to get my life together. I'm trying to do good. And I go, well, Jeremy, I'm proud of you. You are. You got a job. You got insurance. But may I ask you some more questions? Because, Jeremy, God's standard of goodness is far greater than our standard. Could we look at God's moral law to see how you would stand before God right now? And he said, okay. I said, one of God's moral laws is thou shalt not lie from the Ten Commandments. Jeremy, have you ever lied? Yes, Mr. H. What do you call someone who lies, Jeremy? A liar. Jeremy, another command is, thou shalt not steal. Have you ever done that? Yes, Mr. H. What do you call someone who steals? He goes, a thief. Another command, Jeremy, is, thou shalt not murder. And Jesus said, murder is having anger in your heart. Have you done that? And he started crying. He goes, Mr. H., I didn't mean to hit her. I didn't mean to hit her. I said, Jeremy, we've only looked at the three of the Ten Commandments, and you've just admitted to me that you're a lying, thieving, murderous person at heart. If you stood before God, would you be innocent or guilty for breaking his law? He goes, I'd be guilty. Would you go to heaven or hell? Mr. H., would you go to heaven or hell? I'd go to hell. Jeremy, does that concern you? And he started crying, yes. I go, Jeremy, do you have any idea what God's done for you so you don't have to go to hell and you can have a relationship with him right now? And he said, no. And at that moment, my four years of prayers for this young man came true because I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. I told him how Jesus died on the cross for his sins and my sin, how he rose from the dead. For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. I told him that he needed to confess his sins, repent of his sins, and trust in Jesus. And a half hour later, we're standing up, we're fist pumping on the glass partition, and Jeremy repents of his sins, and he professes faith in Jesus Christ. I followed up and I called the chaplains who were friends to follow up on Jeremy and I made regular visits until December when he had his sentencing. He plea bargained he was sentenced to three to six years in prison. Two days after that sentencing, I went to see him in jail and our last Bible study was on Joseph in the Old Testament where it says this in Genesis 48, 49. When Joseph was in prison, the Lord his God was with him. Matter of fact, I was teaching my workshop last Saturday, and guess who called me from prison? I didn't take it. I'm going to be emailing him this week. If you had an opportunity to share the gospel with someone, could you explain it to them? Are you praying for the lost by name? See, to fulfill the great, command, the great commission, it means a whole church needs to bloom where they're planted and go. But not only that, it's saying going, but it's also saying what? Baptizing them, meaning and teaching them to obey. No, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's baptizing them is what? It's that profession of faith in Jesus Christ. We're only supposed to go and to share, but then we're supposed to clearly share the gospel of Jesus Christ and ask people to repent and profess faith. I want to ask you another question. I, I started my sermon by asking what was Jesus' last words before he was ascended. Do you know Jesus' last words on the cross according to the gospel of John? It is finished. 
it is finished. When Jesus had received the drink, he said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his sin, his spirit. It is finished. You know what that means. You've been taught. Your debt has been paid. The debt of what? The debt of our sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he's sharing your debt has been paid, that he paid for our sins on the cross so we could be forgiven and having that relationship with Jesus Christ. And as Jeremy, as I shared the gospel of Christ with him, he repented of his sins and he trusted in Jesus. And when not only did he do that this summer, it was in June, I met with him. We read through the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts. He would come with questions. I taught him how to pray. I taught him how to grow in his relationship with Jesus Christ. He was reading the Bible with other guys in his cell. He actually said this to me that last day I saw him. He goes, he goes Mr. H., I've lost my 20s but I've got my 30s to live for God when I get out of here. I said, Jeremy, you can live for him when you're in prison as well. Because in Colossians it says this, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, that's what Jeremy did, continue to live in him. Rooted and built up in the faith, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. It's personally growing in your walk with Jesus. It's personally reading the scriptures. It's personally praying it's personally praying with your spouse. And it's growing in your walk and caring. I profess faith in Jesus Christ. I was this big when I was in sixth grade. I grew up in Indiana. Guess what I did? Played basketball. When Adam came in this morning, he had a Fellowship of Christian Athletes sign that he saw out in the parking lot. It was through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes I accepted Christ. I was a sophomore in high school. My coach Mustin talked me into going to FCA camp. I went for one reason. Some seniors went. I wanted them to pass me the ball at practice. That's why I went to FCA meeting. And at FCA camp, they said that summer, they go, Kent Benson's going to be at the FCA camp. And you might not know this in Iowa, but Kent, this was 1976. Indiana had just won the national championship. Kent Benson was the star player on the team. He was at that camp. And the coach goes, Jim, you want to go to camp? Kent Benson's going to be there. He was my hero. I go, coach, I'd love to, but my parents won't pay my way. My parents weren't believers. He goes, Coach goes, okay, Jim, I'll pay your way Will you go to camp. Oh, coach, I'd love to. My parents won't take me to Michigan to that camp. Okay, Jim, I'll pay your way. I'll take you to camp. Will you go? Coach, if you throw in a meal, you got me. So I, I went to camp, and there for the first time I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ through Kent Benson, and he said this. He said, I'd give up my national championship trophy. I would give up my Mr. Basketball trophy. Everything pales to comparing of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I thought to myself, he has everything that I want. And he says, Jesus is more. I actually went up to him and I said, Ken, if what you're saying is true, it's going to change my life. They need to write a book about that. Uh, Jim, that's the Bible. I didn't know. I actually had a good news for modern man Bible in my hand. If you remember that stick figure Bible, I had him autographed it. It's in my office. I probably thought Kent Benson wrote it at the moment because the only gods I knew were from Greek mythology class were Zeus. From the Iliad. That's the only gods I knew. I went home and I read through that New Testament three times that year. I started going to church and a year later I examined the scriptures every day to see if what Kent Benson said was true. And on August 7th, 1977, I repented and trusted Jesus as my Savior. Had my senior year in high school and I went off to Indiana University. My second semester of Indiana University, I'm leading the Fellowship of Christian Athletes group. I didn't know much. I was in love with Jesus and I talked about him and everyone thought I knew a lot. But I was blessed. I went to Evangelical Community Church and Dave Ferris was my pastor. 
Two weeks ago, I saw Dave Ferris. I actually had a Go Tell Ministry weekend in Myrtle Beach. I spent the night with him in Hartsville, South Carolina. It was funny. I was there on National Pizza Day, and I told Dave, it's only right we get a pizza. So as I learned the love of pizza at Indiana University. <laughs> you see, Dave discipled me when I was at IU. When I got married, I was at his church for three years. I was a youth pastor on staff at his church for a year and a half. He taught me how to pray. He taught me to pray with my wife. He taught me how to read the scriptures. He taught me how to memorize. He taught me how to share my faith. He equipped me to make disciples who could make disciples. And I've done the same. You see, the purpose is we're all called to do that. We're, all, we're called to make disciples who can make disciples, to teach people how to grow in love with Jesus Christ, not just to attend church, but to go and strengthen people in their walk. And I was able to spend the night with Dave, and we have a video series you might be following up with, but in the front of my video series, I, I highlight three people, and I highlighted Pastor Dave Ferris, the pastor who discipled me. He changed my life, and I told my wife two weeks ago, I'm getting to Myrtle Beach. I'm going to go out of my way to see Dave. We spent the night. She goes, why do you want to see him? I need to thank him face-to-face -face one more time. By the way, Dave Ferris prays for me every day. He has for years. That's what God has called us to do to teach others. We're called to not only to make disciples, make followers of Jesus, we're called to go bloom wherever God has planted us. We're called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those that we're praying for, to lead them to faith, to help develop their faith that they would grow in the word of God and love with Jesus. And then what? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It said this about the early disciples. What did they do with each other? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer that they devoted themselves to grow in grace of Jesus Christ. Not just hearing the pastor. It wasn't just going to church on Sunday. They were devoted to each other, to spurring each other on to grow in love with Jesus Christ. So what reason? So that you would not only be equipped to share the gospel, but you could lead someone to faith, make them a disciple. So what? Then they could lead someone to faith and make them a disciple. And then they could lead someone to faith and make a disciple. That's how we win the world. That's how the gospel reaches all nations. In February, I spoke at Indianapolis, and that's Kent Benson on your left. You could tell he's tall. Kent Benson and I, we actually uh, speak at FCA fundraisers together. But on the other side, on your right, is Bob. When I was at Dave Ferris's church. I became a youth pastor. I led Bob to faith back in 1984 to 85. That's his wife, Jana. And uh, I invited them both to hear me preach at uh, Indianapolis when I did a Go Tell Ministry weekend sometime in February or January. Bob came and Jana Kent couldn't make it. And, and afterwards, Bob and Jana took me out to lunch. Uh, Go and Tell Ministries, we actually raised support. Uh, I'm a missionary, I raise support, people support me so I can travel the United States. When I come to a church, I just ask for an honorarium, whatever you can give. Matter of fact, I spoke at a Chinese church in Bloomington, Indiana in January. They paid me with food. I had all this great Chinese food. I called my wife, honey, don't cook tonight, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Well, Bob, after that, uh, he heard me preach, and Jane, and they wanted to go out to eat, and I said, oh, Bob, I'd love to. So we went out to eat, and and Bob said something that struck me. He goes, Jim, I, 
I thank you because if it wasn't for you, I'd have never come to know faith in Jesus Christ. You led me to faith. You discipled me, and I've done others, and Jane and I were doing that as well. But he goes, also, I knew I was going to see you in two weeks, and I realized I've thanked you, but I didn't thank someone else who's really responsible for my salvation. I go, well, who's that? He goes, Kent Benson. If it wasn't for his work in your life, here he's a national championship player. He spends time with a nobody. Well, thanks, Bob. He spent time with a nobody, and he's responsible for leading your faith. He goes, I realized I never thanked him. So two weeks ago, I decided to find him. I called him. I left a message on an answering machine. I said, hey, I'm Bob, and Jim led me to faith, and I just wanted to thank you. And he called me back. I go, he called you back? I go, yeah. And, and Jim, I, and, I, and I thanked him. I said, I, how, he how you talk about Kent Benson all the time and how you led me to faith. And he goes, I just wanted to thank Kent. And Kent grew up in the church, but it was through an FCA camp. He accepted Christ as a Savior, bold in his faith. And I thanked him. I go, well, what was his response when you thanked him? He he said he, he cried, and he thanked me. Well, the next week, Kent and I are good friends. I called him the next week. I said, hey, Kent, Jim, I heard Bob called you. He started laughing. He goes, yeah, I did. I said, what, was, what did you think when he called you? And, he, and Kent told me two things. Because you remember in, in Luke when it says how one angel rejoices over the sinner who repents? My heart was rejoicing to hear how you, God used you to lead him to faith, and, and he was giving credit to me. And then Kent Benson said this, which surprised me. He goes, Jim, I just want you to know Bob's not the only one that has called me because you've led him to faith and you've told your story. I've received those phone calls before. That's what God wants us to do. And Kent Benson led me to faith. I lead others to faith. And now they're going back thanking Grandpa. And I call Kent Benson Grandpa. He doesn't like that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Grandpa, you're doing well. See, that's what 2 Timothy, this is what Paul says. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will be also qualified to teach others. We're called to share the gospel, to make disciples who can make disciples. And Jesus promised he never leaves us alone, but what? In that closing of the Great Commission, teaching and obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. What I've realized as a pastor, God places people sovereignly in my life to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in word or deed. He places me there. I was at a hotel the other night with a girl checking me in, had a horrible day, was literally crying, and all I did was speak blessings into her. I didn't share the gospel. I spoke blessings into her. I commended her to her manager who happened to go by. At the end, the girl just looked at me and smiled and said, thank you. I was praying my last year I taught. I, taught, I retired from teaching special education in 2021. So that last year I taught was in August of 2020 to May of 21. I taught at a school in Fort Wayne. It had 700 students, kindergarten to second grade. I was a special education teacher. We had 300 Burmese students. We have five Burmese translators, two Spanish translators, free breakfast, free lunch very needy inner city school. And I taught special ed kids with an emotional disability or learning disability. And my first week there I got Mike, I'm changing his name. Mike was the week before was living with his dad in Michigan and his stepmom. They abused him, they sold drugs, they got arrested and they took Mike and they moved him to his mom in 
Fort Wayne and New Haven, which was a mile from the school, in an old trailer park. Probably she lived in the oldest trailer. Mike leaves our home, goes with his mom, who's on disability, hadn't seen for three years, and I get him that first week, and he had a hard first week. At the end of the first week, I called his mom, I'm going to give her name Mary, and I said, hey, Mary, this is Mr. H. It's an honor to have your son. I'm doing my best to encourage him. I know what's all transition he's had. I know he's had it hard. I'm trying to help him with that, but Mary, I have a few questions for you. Yes, Mr. H., what, what are they? I said, well, well, Mary, I know he gets free breakfast. I know he gets free lunch. I know you're on disability. You just got him. He's always hungry in the afternoon when I pull him. I've actually been sharing my lunch with him, and we're sharing my lunch when I work with him. My question is this. Do you need help with food at your house? Yes, Mr. H. Mary, another question I have. I, I know you just got him. I know you're on disability. He's worn the same pants, the same socks, the same shirt, the same underwear all week. Are you needing help with clothes? And she goes, well, well Mr. H, I, I didn't think the school helped. I said, you know, I know this is a public school. They don't help much. Stay on the line. I'm going to get you to someone who can help. But, Mary, that's why I'm calling. I also am known as Mr. H during the week, but on the weekend I go by another name. I'm Pastor Jim, and Pastor Jim helps. How about this? Tomorrow on Saturday I'm going to bring you a couple bags of groceries, a couple bags of clothes, and I'm going to start doing that every other week for the school year. Can I do that? Oh, Mr. H, thanks. I told my principal of the public school what I was doing, and I began to go to her house every other week with bags of groceries and clothes. It got to be late September. I go there with a gallon of milk, and the refrigerator broke. It didn't work. My wife can find things. We found a used refrigerator that day. We delivered it that afternoon. It gets to be late October, and I'm trying to share the gospel with Mary on a Saturday afternoon at our house, and I could tell she just didn't get it. But she had a ring that said Jesus on it. She told me, my mom died last year. This was a ring. She used to take me to church. Mr. H., I think it would help Mike if he went to church. Could he go to your church? And I, I said, you know, I'd love for him to go to my church. My church is 14 miles away, but there's a church literally a mile from your house. Pastor Rick, he's a good friend of mine, pastors that church. Can I let him know? Pastor Rick visited the family. Pastor Rick shared the gospel with Mary. Pastor Rick followed up with that family as well. It gets to November, and, and Mike's just having trauma. We decided as a case conference, if you are familiar with an IEP, we met on a Tuesday that he needed to go on a reduced day because he just couldn't make it through a whole day of school without being violent. Mary agreed with it with the case conference committee. I called her on a Friday. I said, hey, Mary, it's Mr. H. I got the paperwork done. If I come by and if you sign it this afternoon, I've got the special education bus to pick him up a little bit later on Monday, take him home a little bit earlier and I've got some groceries. Can I come by? She said, oh, thank you, Mr. H. She signed the papers. Monday came, and that was the first day Mike didn't make it to school in November. Day's busy. If you're a public school teacher, you can barely keep up, and I get a call from the principal to come to our office at the end of the day, and I just want to state this publicly. As a 60-year-old male, when you get called to the principal's office, you're scared. <laughs> So I go to the principal's office, and the principal's a believer in a public school, and she sat me down and goes, Jim, I should have called you earlier. I know what all you did with Mary and the family. I don't know how to tell you this. Sit down. I'm just going to blurt it out. I've already talked to his other teachers. Mary died yesterday. Uh, matter of fact, there's no family involved. CPS has moved Mike to another county. You're never going to see him again. And she looked at me and said, are you okay? And I what? And she said it again, and then she looked at me and she said, are you okay? And I literally said this to my principal. You know, 
Mike was hungry, I fed him. Mike needed clothes, I clothed him. Mary's refrigerator broke, I got her one. I not only shared the gospel with Mary, I got another pastor to go visit the family. He shared the gospel with Mary. When I stand before God on behalf of Mary, I think I'm going to be okay. Because I really don't know what more I could have done to share Jesus with her. My principal goes, oh my, no other teachers responded that way. I said, well, I just assume when you asked me if I was okay, you meant before the Lord. And she looked at me and goes, and Mr. H, that's why we like having you as one of our teachers. The reason I tell you that story is the church of Jesus Christ in America is not okay today. The church is going to have to give account of sharing the gospel in word and deed, and we're not doing it. Three-fourths of the church in America doesn't even know the Great Commission. Two-thirds of American Christians don't even know how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. More people pray to win the lottery than they pray for their neighbor's salvation. Jesus' last words on the cross, it was finished. The debt has been paid. The command is that we're called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not only not praying about it, we don't know how to do it. Go and tell ministry exists for one reason. The church is not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ today. The workshop today, you will be equipped to share the gospel. We've actually had two people take the workshop who've never shared the gospel before, and after they took it that afternoon, they led someone to faith. We have one command, to love Jesus, and it's to love others and share them the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, I started the message, Jesus' last words before the ascension, then we looked at Jesus' last words on the cross. There's one other last words. Jesus' last words in the Bible. In the book of Revelation, do you remember his last words? Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Yes, I'm coming soon. Hmm. You know, I I don't know when my last... uh, breath is going to be. I don't know what my last words are going to be. Hopefully they would be what the Apostle Paul said. I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I finished the race. But I'll tell you I'll tell you what one word I want to hear after I give my last breath. I want to see Jesus in heaven and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in my Father's happiness. He's going to give us a reward. Only reward I want is the joy of the Father that I've completed the work that he's called me to do. The work is to love Jesus and it's to tell him. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. I thank you for this body of Christ. Father, I just ask through today that you would raise up workers for your harvest field in our midst. Stir in our hearts right now with those two that you've placed in our life, that we can begin to pray for their salvation and not only invite them to Easter, but we could share the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only in word, but in deed, for the glory of your name. Amen.